so the update is um, they have all their beds, and they're, they don't know what to do with themselves. They're extremely happy. Um, we sent money for 10 families to have enough seed to basically cover two and a half acres, which is about the average plot size um, each, each, yes. So 10 families total. And they'll be buying the seed up next weekend, and then we'll start getting stories about who's doing what and how they're setting it up. Basically, we, we just gave them money for uh, maize corn and for black beans. Those are the two main things that they eat, and we just want to keep things simple to start and figure out uh, where all the issues are and go from there and then just kind of grow it slowly over that. So planting season is now until uh, towards the end of the month, and then the next, plant, the next season is like starts in August. So we're just going to sit back and see what they do. So that's where we're at with that. So. Um, that's it for that stuff. It was Acts 2.41? Okay. I was focusing, uh, so Acts 2.41, uh, so those who received his word were baptized, and there, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and the following, and, and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and the breaking bread and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having uh, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Me again. So we we in the series, uh, which we'll finish next week. Um, just. Looking at the church, why the church is the church, and why we do what we do, it's not haphazard, it's very thought through, it's very deliberate, um, and so we want to stick with that plot, because the things that God has asked us to do just don't happen overnight, they take a lifetime, and so we want to stick with that, um, and so <clears throat> let's, let's give a little context quickly, so the context to this text is, going back, just reminding us, as I want to bring us back onto the same page, is that Jesus had commissioned his disciples. We read that in Matthew 28 or Luke 24 and Acts 1. We read that he commissioned them before he left and he empowered them with the Holy Spirit. Um, and he gave them a task. Dallas Willard has a great quote. He said, when Jesus left, there was still a lot left to do. That was left in the hands of the church to complete, to continue and complete that which he began. Jesus said, the things that I do, you will do, and even greater. And so we're part of the season of doing the greater things than Jesus did, or we're supposed to be. So we're trying to get into that sort of understanding. So here, what, what was the, 
What was the task that he gave them? I'm going to remind you of that. The Great Commission is, I'm with you. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you till the very end of the age. All authority is mine. I'll be with you. And in between there's this task. And then he said, you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the earth. But you can't do that until you receive empowering from on high. Holy Spirit, Pentecost. Um, And so that's what happens. They actually do that. They wait. They actually obey Jesus. And they wait in an upper room, 120 frightened people in an upper room praying, waiting for whatever they were waiting for. They had no idea what they were waiting for. They were just waited because that's what Jesus told them to do. And then one day, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came. And we know the story of the tongues of fire. They're speaking in all these different languages. Um, people gather. Peter stands up, begins to preach the first gospel. What does he preach? He preaches the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, people get saved and get added to the church. That's at verse 41. And then what we get is a window into what the first community of Jesus followers post-Jesus look like. That's what we we see. Just get this window. Now, 2,000 years later, there are multiple windows. We've spread all over the world. It looks different. But we get an idea of what was important to the early community of Jesus to do now that Jesus had gone and to fulfill that which he wanted them to do. And it's an interesting thing that they did. But I want you to notice this. One, this text, read verse 41, people get, begins with people getting saved, and the end of the chapter is people getting saved. So in this community of faith, this community of Jesus that is living post the ascension of Jesus, is people are getting saved. And somehow that needs to begin to capture our hearts again, to see people get saved. And when we say, what do we mean by getting saved? Getting saved out of sin and death and destruction into new life in Jesus. Uh, Last Saturday when we were at this training time down in Costa Mesa, uh, they were talking about a professor at the university had all these students and he said, what do you think is the role of the church? So they began to put up all sorts of things, these things that we're talking about. And they put them down into buckets. And he said, okay, fellowship. Yeah, absolutely. Worship. Very good. And I did those things. And then there was this evangelism or meeting the lost. And he said, do you know that all these others we will continue to do in heaven? But this one we'll never do in heaven. So this is, we have a major task of doing that now is reaching the lost. Because when we transition from this life to the next, we won't ever do that again. Isn't that scary? So somehow that needs to grip our hearts. And I, think, I believe that comes when we pick up the heart of Jesus for his world through the Great Commission, through his love for the world, and we be empowered by the Holy Spirit to become witnesses to Jesus. Now, when we talk about evangelism, and I wasn't going to talk about this today at all, it wasn't in my notes, but I think so often we, we are afraid of the idea of evangelism because we see ourselves on street corners or whatever. But I think what Jesus asked us to do predominantly is to actually be witnesses to a new life in Jesus. See, for some reason, my glasses, I'm out of focus today. Um, that we live lives that are so captivating because of what Jesus has done in us and the way that we live. And we see this picture in the early church. 
of what they were doing. It was so captivating that people flocked to them. And we need to somehow begin to live like that. And things like joy actually become part of our lives. How do we find joy when we're absolutely exhausted and the butter is too thin and the cup is too empty and the time is too short and there's no time for anything? How do we find joy? Well, we need to discover that. How do we learn patience when kids are running amok, sickness has crept into your home, the finances are tight, the boss is demanding, etc., etc.? Well, we have to discover how to find that patience. Um, and so we'll go on from there. So th this early community begins with people being added on a regular basis. 3,000 the first day. I mean, that's a pretty good start. But then it says every day thereafter, people were being added. Now, obviously, there was only one community. Today, we spread all over the world. So everywhere around the world, people are being added. I don't think there's expectation that someone's getting added every day into our community. But it would help if someone did, don't you think? We had once a decade. I think the last one was Spielman. Or maybe this means someone since then. The other thing that we see in this window into this early church is there is, was a devotion to certain types of practices. Certain things they did on a regular basis that helped them to be Jesus' people in a corrupt world. We saw that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and I'm going to talk about that today. They were devoted to fellowship enjoying one another, eating together, all those things. And we, we, we do that really well. I think there's some things we do as community really well. Um, there's some things we do really badly, but there's some things we do really well. And I think that's one of them. And we, do, and we did Mercy Town everywhere or anywhere, or anywhere, and Josiah changed it to everywhere, the rebellious man that he is. No. When we do, we're actually enjoying fellowship with one another. It's an important aspect of being the church, fellowship. We don't just go to meetings, we fellowship. We enjoy one another. The third one is the breaking of bread, which Brian did over two weeks and, and just covered in great detail. I'm not even going back there today. It was in great detail. And the, and the last one was prayer. Um, and that one I'm not going to cover because we've kind of covered it over time. This is what comes to me when I, re, when I look at that through that window into that early church, looking back to that. It was very exciting. They hadn't yet time for people to come and screw it up. A few chapters later, it already happens. But in this early window, there's something dynamic happening. And I think we can learn from that and say, God, we want that as community to actually reflect the things that you want us to do. Um, I, think we, I think we can move toward that. I don't think we'll get there today. I'm not sure we'll get there next week. But every day we can move toward becoming and living like Jesus' people the way he expected us to and asked us to. Do you think that's a fair request? We're on, we're on a journey, but we can begin to move toward that. It does take some effort. It takes some decision-making. It takes some sacrifice. It takes a whole bunch of things. But if we say we want to be followers of Jesus, let's see how we can move toward that. The one thing I wanted to say about prayer, just briefly, because I think prayer is really important, is this. When they say they were committed to prayer, there was an expectation on their behalf that God was with them and interacting with them. Otherwise, why pray? Why pray if we don't believe that God is interacting with us? See, he had said, I'm going, but I will be with you. 
till the very end of the age. You keep doing what I want you to do, and I will be with you. And therefore, if, if he is with us, they had an expectation that they could talk to him and bring requests to him and do those things. If you don't believe that Jesus is present by his Spirit with us every single day, then why pray? Is that a good question? So we need to say, God, show it. We, we, need, we want to know that you're with us. So that prayer becomes real, because otherwise it's just praying to the ceiling. The other thing about prayer that we see in these early chapters is that, is that it was spontaneous and it was organized and in a rhythmic practice. Because they were practic- you can see they got together and they raised their hands and they cried out to the Lord, I think, in Acts 4. But they were going to the daily prayers at the temple and kept on praying those certain ways. So we need both those. The other thing is that they were praying as community and they were praying as individuals. We need both of those too. Because when you pray by yourself, that's wonderful. You get into the depths of intimacy and waiting upon God and he meets you specifically. When you pray as community, we come together, say we have need, together we lift our voices. And those are two different things, but yet both very, very important to what God is doing. So, I want today I want to talk about the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. Can you say devoted? If you are devoted to your husband or your wife or your children, what does that mean? Dedicated, okay. Anyone? You say you're devoted. What does that mean? Say again. You think of them in everything. Primary focus. Sorry? Loyal. It's just this devoted, it's actually a very powerful word. And we it rolls off our tongues, but doesn't necessarily roll through our lives. Do would you agree with that? And Jesus is asking us to be devoted to some things. Devoted. And we figure that one out as we go along. So, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This was pre the New Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written. They, had, they were mostly Jews, so they had the Old Testament writings. And they had, many of them had memorized stuff. So when they prayed, they were praying through the Psalms. and They were doing all that stuff. But they didn't have the New Testament to go to. So what were the apostles teaching? If they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, what were the apostles' teaching and why were they devoted to it? Is that a good question? Good questions? What were the apostles' teaching and why were they devoted to it? Any ideas? What do you think they were teaching? Sorry? Death, resurrection of Jesus? Jesus teaching? Sermon in other words, Jesus teaching. You remember what he said in the Great Commission, the thing he told them to do? He said, teach them what? To obey everything I've commanded you. Not just teach them what I said to you. It's not just about the transference of information. It's about teaching us to become obedient to what Jesus said. That's what they were teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What is it that Jesus taught? Tell us. 
so that we can respond and obey and line our lives up with that. Why were they devoted to it? Sorry? They were obeying, yeah? Yeah, well, how else would they have known what Jesus was like? Many of them never saw Jesus. Many of them never heard Jesus. Remember those 3,000 that got saved? Many of them had come from all across the known Roman Empire, the Jews, to come together. Many of those, they didn't see Jesus. They hadn't met him. They hadn't heard him teach. So they want to know all about this Jesus that we've just responded to. Can you tell us about this man? Can you tell us what he taught? What was he like? So they were devoted because they wanted to know. And so... In that, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to put in us an, a, a fresh, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, not naivete, but just that freshness that I don't know everything and can I can be taught again. Because I think we come to the place where we think we know everything. <clears throat> Do you know that most Christians are experts on the Bible and theology? Nobody's an expert on everything, but when it comes to these things, Christians know everything. And actually, we don't. We have to put ourselves in that place. Jesus, teach us. Take us to the depths. Take us to these new things. Help us understand. So, if we saw, see into this little community, we look through this window into how they were operating. If they were to look forward into a little window, into our little community, how would they see the apostles' teaching how would they see us being devoted to the apostles' teaching? Okay. What would be the apostles' teaching? Where would we be getting it? Because the apostles are not here anymore. So Peter's not sitting here teaching us. You've got this old kippy here. Studying the word. We, got, we have the apostles' teaching here. Because there came a time when this got written down so that it could go down the ages because they knew, oh, we're going to die. So how do we keep this going alive? There's an oral tradition, but there's also a written tradition. So we got these Gospels that tell us about Jesus and the things that he said, the things that he asked us to do and how we interacted with people, etc., etc. We have this. This is the apostles' teaching to us today, and we devote it to the apostles' teaching. Um, why? For the same two reasons that we want to know what to obey to become the Jesus people, and we want to know what Jesus is like. Don't you want to know what Jesus is like? I wrote this down yesterday morning. We were away, and I woke up early and I wrote this down. Without the Scriptures today for us, without the Scriptures, we create a Jesus figure in our own imagination with obedience to self-made ideas. If you do not devote yourself to the Scriptures to find out what Jesus is like, you will make a Jesus in your own image. Or Jesus in the image you want Him to be in. And He'll be the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that just does for you what you like when you want Him to do it. Because what else can you do if you don't have anything else? You have to invent Him. And if you don't 
devote yourself to this apostolic teaching through the scriptures, then you make up things that you think you should do. And we, make, we have all these principles we live while many of them are not even in the Bible, but they're part of culture. You know, like God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible, but it's prevalent in everywhere. This is important. We devote ourselves to the scriptures. Why? So that we know what Jesus is like. Who is this Jesus that we are serving? Who is this Jesus that we've given our lives to? Who is this Jesus that has set his affection upon us and saved us and given us new life from above? Who is this Jesus? And what is it that he requires of us? And what is he calling us into? And what does he want us to become? And what is he prepared for us in the future? Whatever. Where are we going to get that except from here? Is that a fair enough statement? And so I think it's important that we go home and just think about our images of Jesus and our images of his teachings and say, what is it that I actually have to just throw out because it's actually not biblical? It's just something I've invented. So, what did Jesus teach? We need to know that. Where would we look to see what Jesus taught? Anyone care to guess? The Bible. What part of the Bible? All of it. You know? I'd become a little more specific, say, kind of start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because those, you know, some very specific about Jesus' life. Go look there, see what he had to say. Teach us to obey everything that he commanded. How will we know? Another place, well, within that body, as Mike said, we could go to the Sermon on the Mount because that's the the one single great body of teaching that Jesus gave. It's recorded for us. We could go look at that and say, is there anything in there that Jesus commanded us to do? Do you think so? We're going to go look in a moment. Um, So what about the letters? In the New Testament, how do they fit in? Because today people say, "Well, we'll just we'll just take Jesus and this bit, but throw this bit out." All the letters are apostolic input into these churches that began to develop to say, "Oh, you've missed some. Make adjustment, make correction, reminder, encouragement, stir you up." So, if, if the apostles today, if Paul were around, he could look through a window into our little community. He might write. The church at Mercy Town, and write and tell us some things. He's applying this teaching through a practical window. Guys, sort this out. This is what the teaching says, but you've gone off at this tangent. Come back. Come back. That's what the letters are. They're to remind us, encourage us, help us. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read it. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 in verse. 43, and we're going to go to chapter 7, verse 6. I'm going to read it nice and slowly, and I'm going to ask you to listen. And if you have a pen or a, and paper, or your phone open to notes, or your iPad open to notes, or if you have an incredible memory, wonderful. But I'm going to read this, and you're going to ask this question, what do you hear Jesus asking us to do? Oh, Christianity is not about doing. It's just about believing. Fiddlewings. There's a lot to do. 
What do you hear Jesus asking you to do? Is that all right? Make a little note, remember, and let's go. You have to close your eyes to concentrate, whatever. That's wonderful. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect, which is a terrible verse in the Bible, but a great one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you, that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is life not more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap 
nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. In my Bible, which is the red letter edition. Jesus' words are in red. In that text that I read you, all the letters are in red. So it means it's all Jesus' words. What did you hear Jesus ask you to do? Say again. Oh, be perfect. It's very telling that. Very telling. Hey? Like me or no? Oh no, <laughs> not at all. What do you hear, God? What are you just saying? Pray for your enemies. Very telling that too. Judge not. Focus on yourself. Okay? Say again? What are you hearing? Okay. Don't be a show off. Do not be anxious. Does that look like a command or a suggestion in this text? What else are you hearing? Act like God's children. You see, I find it very easy to pray for my enemy. It's another thing to love them. I found a few. I saw there, love your neighbor. Actually, because you're called call to love your neighbor as well. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't be spiritual so just for others' viewing. Give to the needy. 
doesn't say if you give to the needy, it says when you give to the needy. Pray, pray, forgive others, fast, do not judge, seek first the kingdom, do not lay up treasure on earth, do lay up treasure in heaven, serve God, not money, do not be anxious, look at God's world and consider how he's working, be wise in what you do, and that's just in a little bit of the New Testament. You actually don't even have to be spirit-led to know that God has given us some things to obey. They're written in the Bible. The Great Commission is the apostolic. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I was, you know, you've heard, heard me say this. I was absolutely shocked when I... Actually, was watching a YouTube, and I watched Dallas Willard speak, and he said in his 40 years of ministry, never gone to a church, a grouping of churches, a movement or denomination that at its heart were teaching people to obey Jesus. That's pretty shocking, don't you think? That if it's in the Great Commission, the final, we weren't teaching people to obey Jesus. We want to be about that. Now, I know none of us is perfect. I know Becca thinks I am, but it's not true. We're on this journey. We're on this place of becoming the kind of people that Jesus wants us to become. But we will never get there if we don't obey Jesus. And so in 30-something years of ministry, so often I hear people say, well, I don't know what to do. I just say, well, you don't even have to hear God. Just go read the Bible. It tells you. Start. Love your enemies. Just start there. That's a good place to start. I mean, that's really hard, but it's, oh, Lord, would you teach me to love my enemies? You're asking me to love my enemy. Who in my life do I view as an enemy or somebody that's against me, who's persecuting me, who's out to get me? Teach me to love that person, Lord. My heart says no. My mind says no. My body wants to run, but will you teach me? To love that person because that's what you're asking of me. And you set the example when they persecute you and they put you on that cross and you look down and you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now you're not going to get there in a day. You're just going to begin. Say, God, teach me, help me, grow me, spirit, lead me, walk with me. I'm struggling now. I, as a pastor, I've prayed for God to kill people. I, I have prayed that. And I'm so glad God did not answer my prayers. No, God, teach me. No, I don't want you to kill them. I want you to help me love them. How many of you feel anxious about the future? Future for your kids. Future about your work, your retirement, your marriage, all sorts of things. I don't know. Everybody I know is anxious. Jesus says, do not be anxious. Now, that's a kind of an unfair command. It's an unfair imperative that Jesus gives, unless we see it in the broader light of having a life committed and submitted to him, learning to trust him, and out of that trust, we do not have to be anxious. But if you don't get to know Jesus, you'll never get to trust him. If you don't get to trust him, you will always be anxious. Is that fair enough? So you've got to start here to get there. But he's asking, don't be anxious. So when you find yourself being anxious, go back to and say, Jesus said, do not be anxious. Lord, help me. I don't want to be anxious right now, but I feel anxious. 
I appreciated something that Aaron said last week when he was giving feedback from our time away at this training time. And he said, I've been, I've been doing this practice with the Lord's Prayer and, and the Psalm 23 now for quite a long time. And I can honestly say, and this is, uh, please, this is not perfect. Rebecca Portnoy. There are times where I find things happening and I'm feeling, and I actually, what pops straight into my, my mind literally is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because I've just been doing it every day. Five minutes every morning. In bed. Not even getting holy on my knees in front of the stained glass window. Just in bed. Well, there's still gunk in my eyes. The benefits. Oh, that's what starts it's coming to mind. It's, we, we put into practice. Just keep doing little by little every day, little by little. And you see God begin to do things. I want to encourage you to do that. Be committed to the apostolic teaching, which Jesus comes and gives us. We just cannot merely teach for the transference of information. It's okay for information. It's okay for knowledge. We're not trying to do away for it. But that's all we do. We've missed the point. We are teaching so that we become people who obey Jesus, who do what he asks us to do. Um, so a, a, a prayer I'd love us to pray tonight just or when you go home is Lord would you teach me how to be taught again because I think we've come to the place where we're unteachable many of us in different areas unteachable we know it we've got it been a Christian 50 years got it down rather than Jesus will you teach me to be teachable again And then surrounding all of this, because this could sound like legalism, this could sound like what? Around us is grace, grace, grace upon grace upon grace that empowers us to live this life. And it takes a lifetime, over a lifetime, to, be, to do what Jesus wants us to do. It's grace. But remember, grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. There is work involved. But when you mess it up, which we will do every day, grace is there to strengthen us and lift us up and put us back on our feet. And there's no, if Jesus is asking us not to judge and we are truly trying to live in his life, he's not going to be judging us every time we fail. He's just not going to be doing that. The end of this little body of teaching says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, will be like a wise man. Is that what it says? What does it say? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. NIV says, puts them into practice. Will be like a wise person who built their house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The promise is that the storms will come. You guaranteed. Guaranteed. Just like taxes, guaranteed. Like storms are coming. Hardship is coming. Testing is coming against that which we hold to be true. 
But if we take the words of Jesus and we put them into practice and we do them, we are building for to survive storms. We are building into the depths. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish person who built their house on the sand. You know, sandcastle? Have you ever been to where they do sandcastle competitions and they do all this stuff on the sands? And the high tide comes and you go back there and it's gone. can look pretty. can look ornate. It can win the first prize. But when the high tide comes, it's gone. A bit of lumps of sand just left. My deep conviction for me and for us, I believe, my deep conviction is that when we learn to obey Jesus, then we become the kind of people he intended for us to become. Mature, and what I believe, and you can fight with me, it's okay, displaying the fruit of the Spirit as seen in Galatians 5. I believe that people that display that fruit are people that are mature, becoming the kind of people that Jesus wants us to become. It's not whether they can preach or dance or lead worship. Or it's about that they display joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering and generosity, those things. If you're worried, it's hard to be joyous. If you're anxious about your things, it's hard to be generous. If you're fearful of people, it's hard to be someone who loves. If you're always at loggerheads with others and yourself, you can't be living in peace. I urge you from the bottom, from the heart of my bottom, from the bottom of my heart. I urge you. I urge you. I plead with you. That you would begin to obey Jesus. You don't have to obey me. You don't have to obey the leaders. We're just here to remind us of what we're supposed to obey, which is Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. And then next week we'll go look at the end of another little window into this amazing community. Closing remark on this. Do not try and do all those things the first day. You might have to just start by loving yourself. You might have to start there. Truly learning to love yourself in the way that Jesus sees you. Not self-worship. Not looking in the mirror. So good. Not like that. Just being secure in your identity. Secure in who God has called you to be. Secure with the color of your hair or the loss of your hair or whatever. Just be secure in your Say, Jesus loves me. I want to learn to love myself because if I don't get that right, I cannot love my neighbor. I cannot love my enemy. I cannot love my brother or sister in the body of Christ. I cannot love my kids properly. I'm just going to be distorted. Can you maybe just start there? Lord, teach me to love myself. And see myself as you see me. 
as we come to the table, which we've been hearing about so wonderfully, we are reminded that on that cross, when that body was broken and that blood was shed, Jesus was showing us absolute obedience to the Father, absolute submission to the will of God, and an absolute love for humanity. Perfect love, perfect obedience, perfect submission is seen at the cross as our example to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. So when we come and partake, we're saying, Jesus, we're partaking in your life. We're part- participating in this death and resurrection so that we can rise up to be these new people, your body. And we're not the isolated finger and a toe that floats around you. We are the body. We need one another. That's what this table represents, the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus that makes us the united and healed body of Jesus, washed in the cleansing, saving blood of Jesus. And when we get to Sunday night, it's, a long, it's been a long week, a long, many, many people just nodding off. I understand that. That's why we record. You can go back and listen. It's okay. If this is where you're going to come and have a really deep sleep, it's the only place you can do it, go ahead. Go ahead. Have a good sleep. But then go listen to the podcast. All right? Is that fair enough? It's the body. Father, we gather in your name and we come to the table with this cup, this bread. And we're asking that we would just see ourselves individually as whole and healed because of the work of Jesus on the cross, enabled new life to come into us so that we could be healed. By his stripes, we are healed. We become new people, whole people. Teach us to love ourselves. Not to be infatuated with ourselves, not to have self-devotion, but to be a healthy self-image knowing who we are in Jesus so that we can interact with our world in a wonderful, healthy way. Lord, we participate in this death and resurrection so that we can be your body. In Jesus' name.